Welcome back to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, and this week we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll kind of walk through the majority of the book here, verses 1 through 40, and Paul is addressing some questions that the Corinthian church seems to have sent his way, and it seems to um, circle around this idea of whether it is good for them to marry or not to marry. Um, part of this is probably stemming from the culture that they're in, maybe could have... Um, you know, some bearing with the idea of the return of Christ, whether it was worthwhile to marry. There's also probably likely some issues with food and um, famine maybe in this particular time. So um, they're wondering, should we bring children into the world? Should we marry? You know, there's just a lot of questions that are swirling around for this first century church. And at the core of all these questions is what we're going to term as uh, this idea of contentment, what it means to be content. And it's really going to stem around two areas of life in this particular chapter that I think touch uh, deeply um, in our current culture, especially here in the United States. And that's going to um, contentment within our, our uh, relationship statuses, uh, specifically when it comes to marriage and singleness and the um, varying degrees that that comes with. And then also our uh, contentment within our social status and situation regarding our work, our job, our place in the world, our ethnicity, our race, and all those things that come along. Paul's going to kind of address these questions under this umbrella of contentment. Um, and here we'll start in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 16. And what we're going to highlight is that Christians can be content regardless of what their marital status is. In fact, the phrase that begins this entire um, topic is that it is good. Paul says, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What does he mean by that? Um, how can we render that? Well, the phrase beginning with it is good likely refre- reflected a Corinthian slogan that Paul wanted to modify. So he's taking a cultural phrase and he's modifying it a little bit to create a an example or an illustration. And he said, Paul wants to modify considering the questions posed regarding sexuality and marriage. And again, we've touched on this in some of the other lessons, but this Corinthian culture is a, is a culture steeped in um, sexuality as well as um, kind of the improper use of that, and as, even as part of their temple worship to their particular goddess Aphrodite. So you can understand the Corinthians have some confusion about this. So let's um, dig a little bit deeper. The expression is translated in several ways, including it is good for a man not to marry, and it is good for a man not to have sexual relations or touch a woman. So Paul's saying it's okay not to get married. It's okay to not have this kind of relationship with <clears throat> between a man and a woman. Um, so continuing on, commentators have also uh, varying opinions as to Paul's meaning, considering that the Greek word for wife and woman are the same, and they're generally determined by context. So likely... <clears throat> excuse me, Paul is um, speaking to them in, in terms of a spouse, of, of a wife. Um, many scholars agree, however, that Paul was, what Paul, <clears throat> many scholars agree, however, that Paul was prohibiting men from having sexual relations with anyone other than their wives. So that's kind of the overarching theme here. It doesn't necessarily mean don't touch people, right? Um, it's maybe a little bit too narrow of an interpretation. The point is, and that Paul was addressing the question the Corinthians have given to him, is that it is good, it can be good for a man not to marry and not to have sexual relationship with a woman in this marriage union. That it's okay to be single, essentially is what he's saying. But if you do marry, then you are supposed to... Um, unilaterally be identified with this one individual when it comes to sexual relationship. That's very important, especially in the culture that we live in today. 
So all of this was in response to questions posed to Paul by the Corinthians. It is plausible that some believers in Corinth were holding to an extreme form of celibacy. You see, they saw the culture around them and all of the just debauchery that was happening. So their their reaction was, well, I'm just going to completely almost become part of the Stoics and just not engage in any kind of um, um, sexual relationships at all. So there's this extreme form of celibacy. Others may have adopted the idea that all sexual relations inside or outside of marriage were sinful. That being said, the verses that follow teach important truths about the divine origin of marriage and the proper and improper use of sexual relationship. And again, this is a subject matter that doesn't get spoken about a whole lot. Um, and it is a very personal personal subject matter. I understand that. But it's something that needs that the Christian needs to inform themselves about from a biblical viewpoint. And it's something as moms and dads that we need to pass down to our children of what is God's design for this. And I really do believe that that is the responsibility of parents um, to inform themselves, um, let God speak to you, and then pass that down to your children. That is our responsibility. So we have to address it. We have to confront it. So knowing the problem of sexual temptation these believers were struggling with, Paul instructed each man to have his own wife and each woman to have her own husband. You see that in verse 2. Nevertheless, and here's the purpose, he says, To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Very practical advice, right? So continuing on, the verb for have that's used here is also a synonym for sexual relations. It's not just the possession, it is the purpose of part of the union. So further, the husband was to seek seek to meet the sexual needs of his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. And we read that in verse 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, or what they are due, what they're owed. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. This is a covenant relationship where each one is, is there for service. For the other. The reason these conjugal relations should not be withheld is because neither the wife nor the husband have authority over their own bodies. And this is kind of this beautiful picture of the gospel that we are giving our lives over for one another, and that extends to every area and facet of life. In particular, what Paul is addressing here is that each one's body is for the purpose of the other, that we are um, giving each other what each one is due based on the covenant relationship that we have willingly entered into. So, verse 4 says, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. This is true because in marriage, men and women have pledged their bodies to each other. Not just our hearts, not just our emotions, not just our love, but also all the person of who we are. So, denial of sexual relations would not fit within that pledge or that covenant. So, Paul commanded the married individuals not to deprive each other of these sexual relations. Remember, go back to the original question. They were trying to do the right thing by being celibate, even though they were married, because they saw how twisted sexuality had become in their culture. So Paul was bringing it back into, he's almost pushing it back into, okay, no, here is the biblical mandate and here's why. So Paul commanded the married individuals not to deprive each other of this kind of relationship, especially considering that this denial could lead them into temptation. Meeting each other's sexual needs helps spouses find contentment in this particular area. And that brings us back home, that the goal is always contentment with what God has given us and God has gifted us with. And if you're a wife, God has gifted your husband. And if you're a husband, God has gifted your wife. And that to be um, pursuing anything other than that is a, is a sign of discontentment in that particular area. 
So, if times came in which the temporary celibacy seemed best, it was to be agreed upon by both spouses for a specific purpose and for a limited time. And that could have some allusion to fasting, and rather than fasting for food, we separate um, from physical relationship for a particular reason. It could be something very important on your heart that you want to pray for and work through. Uh, but Paul says to, to put limitations on that. After that time had passed, they were to return to their normal relationship so as not to be tempted to try to satisfy their sexual desires in some other way. We read that in verse 5. He says, Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and then come together again. And here's why. That Satan tempt you not for your incontinency, which means something a little bit different than uh, the way that it was used then. Um, But that's another conversation. So this refraining from sexual activity was intended for the people to devote themselves to special prayer. Even this, however, was considered by Paul to be a concession rather than a command. And this is important. He says, but I speak this by permission and not of command. He's saying, I'm not commanding you to do this. You have Christian liberty. But Paul's saying, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is my advice and this is what I recommend that you do. And I think that's something to uh, give a lot of serious consideration to. So after his instructions regarding sexual relationship and marriage, Paul acknowledged the various marital situations a person could find him or herself in. And here's some examples. There's married, there's single, there's widowed, there's divorced. There's those that are unequally yoked, which is a Bible word for a believer being married to an unbeliever, which again, first century church, that's likely to happen a lot. You know, a spouse could trust Christ and the other spouse reject it. And you got to kind of work through that situation. There were those who were virgins or those that were unmarried yet. Um, And even parents. How do parents deal through this? Paul's addressing all this. Well, the apostle emphasized and recommended his own status, which was at the, which was single. He encouraged each one to learn to be content in the situation that they were in. Verse seven and eight. He says, "For I would that all men were even as myself, which is single." But every man hath his proper gift of God. Paul knows that that is not the calling that God has on everyone's life. In fact, I would say there's more people that do not end up in that area than do, but it doesn't have any bearing on the value of the individual. So each one has their gift of God, and one after this manner, and one after that. And I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide, even as I. And again, contentment is is the underlying, undergirding thing that's the theme of what is being spoken about here in chapter 7. Are you content in the situation with which you find yourself in right now? That's the question. So, however, if a person cannot exercise self-control and overcome the sexual temptations thrown his or her way, then marriage would be the proper course. The expression, which is often used and quoted, um, the expression for burn with passion or that they burn in verse 9 means to be inflamed. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Um, It was used as a figure of speech for a strong sexual desire. So Paul is telling them to, to... um, satisfy this desire properly within God's design, it, it must be satisfied within the relationship of marriage. There's really no other way to interpret that in verse 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn or have this inflamed, passionate desire. So further, if a person was married, he or she should not seek to be unmarried, Right? So don't separate. That's that's not a call from God to say, well, I'd rather not be married and I can serve God better if I wasn't married. Well, that certainly isn't God's calling. Rather, it is to seek to be content and to help his or her spouse also find contentment in the relationship. So chapter 10, or I'm sorry, verse 10 in chapter 7. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried 
or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. This command finds its basis in the commands of the Lord Jesus, who told his followers not to divorce. In very strong terms, you can find that in Matthew 5, verse 32, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, for examples of Jesus' prohibition of divorce. And I want to take a moment here to um, address this particular issue. This isn't necessary. necessitating that you stay that a person stays in an abusive relationship. The point here is that if if you find yourself married to an unbeliever, to not put them away, either the husband or the wife, or if you do separate, to try to be reconciled because that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the point, the purpose of marriage. Um, it isn't to say under no circumstances for no reason should a husband or wife leave a relationship at all. Um, that there, there are Bible scholars that are all over the spectrum on this particular issue. I'm speaking from my personal insight and study in this matter, but it's not to say that there's never a reason that separation must be necessary, um, but let it be the extreme. Let it not be for, um, like this in this particular case, just strictly discontentment, which is what Paul is addressing in chapter 7. So let's not um, overexpand what Paul is addressing here, but also let's not reduce it too narrowly as well. Let's try to take a real strong biblical viewpoint on what's being addressed here in chapter 7. So continuing on, Paul then chose to address those husbands and wives living with an unbelieving spouse, verses 12 through 16. He says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Meaning now you are separated, you are, you are sanctified, you are apart from God. Now you can be the vessel with which to bring holiness both to your husband or your wife, if they're unbelievers, or to your children as well. So it seems that many of these were already married when they came to Christ. And Paul said that they should stay in the relationship if possible, so that their influence and relationship with God could bring God's grace upon the whole family, including the children. In fact, the unbelieving spouse may come to faith in Christ because of the Christian's mate, the Christian mate's demonstration of these three things, of love, grace, and mercy. So remember, contentment is at the core of this, this, this relationship, this idea of, of marriage. What's the purpose of it? It's that we are to be content with, with the, as it says, the gift of God in verse 7, the proper gift of God that has been placed um, in front of us. So what's the, what's the um, application here? I think that we need to choose to cultivate contentment wherever or whatever our marital situation and some questions need to be asked. What principles are spouses given in verses 1 through 5 concerning sexual relationship and marriage? Let's get a strong biblical viewpoint of it so that way we can pass it down to our children if and when, and I'm sure for some listening, the questions have already arisen. Let's address it how the Bible addresses it. And then also ask ourselves the question, what does contentment look like in your particular situation? Where do you have discontent in your life? Because there is a sinister temptation that hangs in the wings if we don't deal with the contentment in this particular area. And that is, as Paul addressed, that Satan is what? Satan is looking to tempt you. And he um, was obviously engaging in this in the Corinthian culture. And I don't think anybody could look around in the culture today and say that that isn't something that Satan uses as a powerful tool to tempt us. And God has gifted us marriage as a way to combat against the temptation, the fornication, the sexual desire that is improper so that we can look to one another and find contentment and fulfillment in that area. So I hope that was helpful. We're going to continue on here in just a minute in the next section that Christians can be content whatever their calling, profession, or circumstance.
Welcome back. We are continuing on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to be in verse 17 through 24. We're going to address here, again, we're talking about the overarching theme of contentment. We looked earlier at marital status and um, sexuality, human sexuality, how to find contentment in those areas. But now we're going to kick into the second part that I think many people find themselves uh, discontent discontented with, myself included often, is is our calling, our profession, our status, our circumstances, our role in life, right? We often ask ourselves the question, what am I doing with my life? What has God called me to? How do we find contentment in that area? So moving on through into 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17, not only did the members of the church find themselves in various marital situations, but they also found themselves in different jobs, professions, and even in various levels of society. Paul used the word calling or condition, and he uses those words in verses 20 and 21 to refer to people's occupation, profession, or life circumstances. Here's what he writes. He says, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being, I'm sorry, art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather, saying some of you are free men, some of you are slaves, some of you are servants, some of you are masters. Whatever God has called you to let that be your calling. But if you can, for instance, if you are a servant or you are a slave and you can purchase your freedom, then by all means, try to do that. But realize that the contentment must be understood within the situation you find yourself right now. It doesn't mean don't have goals or dreams. It just means to find contentment in your current situation. So they were to view their circumstances as God's calling for that time in their lives and to seek to be content and serve the Lord there until he led them in a different circumstance. So with with this perspective, every person's profession or circumstance is essentially, and this is important, a ministry that God has called him or her to. In verse 17, Paul alludes to the circumstances people were in when God called them to salvation. He says to them, and sorry, I'm going to flip the page here. He says, but as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. So as a general rule, they were to retain the place that the Lord assigned them and to walk in it. The point, as illustrated in verses 18 and 19, is that a converted Jew is still a Jew and a converted Gentile is still a Gentile. And each of them have relationships, opportunities, and responsibilities that the other would not have. So the basis for living this way is an attempt at keeping the commands of God, no matter the difference. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into this word calling that we see um, translated for us in English in verse 20, uh, where the Lord says, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he's called. The word translated calling, condition, or situation in verse 20 is a Greek word from which we get our English idea of a station or a role, not a bread roll, like your role in life. Paul was acknowledging that within the church, people will have various calling stations or roles and were And we are to be careful not to desire to trade places with another person whose life situation may seem better than ours. His point is fairly simple. Whether you are, and this is alluding to verses 18 and 19, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, meaning you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, if you're slave or you're free, be content in that condition and use it as a means of serving God. What's fascinating here is that he uses two different... um, Parts of the spectrum. He says, circumcised or uncircumcised, meaning Jew or Gentile, which is something that an individual can't do anything about. You're born a certain, you're born a Jew or you're born a Gentile. You didn't have any control over that and you can't change it, right? But then he also says, if you're a slave or you're free, again, maybe not totally something you could have controlled, but in this particular culture, as far as slavery was concerned, a little bit different than our American understanding of slavery, more like an indentured servitude, they could buy their way out of that. They didn't have to stay that way. 
So Paul's saying, be content of the things you can, you had no control over, but also still be content of the things that you may be able to change. We're trying to find contentment in all situations and use those as a way and a means of serving God. So in verse 21 through 24, Paul applied the same principle to the circumstances of the slaves and the freedmen. And the apostle recognized that virtually no one would choose the life of the slave. If he were to find himself in this situation, however, he was to seek to use it to serve and honor God. What's beautiful about this is that everybody, when they came together, whether they were free or slave, when they came together to worship God, there was no status. Everyone in God's sight, in the body of Christ, was viewed equally. And that Paul's addressing this, that that, that viewpoint shouldn't change. Regardless, of the church is a, beaut- a beautiful picture of unity, even within the diversity of our congregation. So in order to illustrate this truth, verse 22 explained that when a slave comes to Christ, he becomes the Lord's free man, used for his purposes. And the opposite, when the free man comes to Christ, he became the Lord's servant, also used for his purposes. So the principle of verses 17 through 20 is restated in verse 24, and that's here's what it says. It says, Brethren, let every man, wherein he's called, therein abide with God. That's where real contentment is found, is abiding with God. So regardless of ethnicity, nationality, occupation, or social status, the believer is to live his or her life in relationship with God and in a way that brings honor to God. So what's the takeaway for us here? I think it's to remind ourselves to use our particular circumstance as an opportunity to serve and honor God. Why can difficult circumstances be viewed as God's calling on our lives for that time? Well, as an example, God sometimes leads us into or allows us to go through difficult times to grow and to develop us. And secondly, how might we use even difficult circumstances as opportunities to serve and honor God? Well, we can seek ways to serve and witness for the Lord in those circumstances, and we can demonstrate trust in God, even during difficult times. So hopefully this second part of the lesson um, is helpful in addressing our station, our roles, our status, our circumstances in life, and how we can find contentment within those situations. And I think it really is wrapped up in verse 24, where Paul says, abide therein with God. So we'll come back to the last section here that walking with Christ brings contentment no matter our circumstances. Welcome back to the final part of our lesson here on the keys to contentment. We've addressed uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've started with uh, marital status and finding contentment in that area. We're also looking into our role in life and our circumstances, how we can find contentment there. We're going to finish here by um, addressing uh, that walking with Christ brings contentment no matter what our circumstances are, that he should always be our focal point. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Here's what he says in verse 25. He says, now concerning, which is, okay, you've asked me these questions, so now let me address this. Now concerning, of verse 25, indicates that the apostle was about to answer a specific question raised by the Corinthians. So in the first century, the betrothed, basically those unmarried or those that were set up for engagement, um, or virgins were understood to be people who had never married or had sexual relationships. The issue raised by some young men who were betrothed was whether or not to marry at the time. Again, there's kind of this famine that's going on, and they're asking themselves, do I want to be... And I want to give this responsibility to take care of not only a wife and now children, and we don't know if we're going to have food. There are some issues that are going on historically in Corinth. So in this case, Paul says he has no direct teaching from Jesus related to this issue, but he would assert his own apostolic judgment concerning the matter. Again, we understand that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So he's saying Jesus hasn't given me any, any specific instruction here, but as an apostle and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, let me um, address this matter. 
Here's what he says. He said, the present distress or crisis spoken of in verse 26 led the believers to ask these questions. And here's a little background. Archaeological evidence suggested that there had been food shortages during this time in Corinth. Some even recorded earthquakes and famines. So because of these situations, there was this panic buying and social unrest, and there were riots. Sounds familiar to kind of where we find ourselves today. So because of these crises, Paul said that it would be good for singles to remain And so for those who were betrothed, not to proceed to marriage. He said, it's okay if you don't. If you remain single, you choose not to get married because of the situations going on right now. It's perfectly fine. But he said further that those who were married should not panic and look to escape marriage. In verse 27, he says, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Very straightforward, practical suggestions here. These issues were not inherently sinful. That's why I think Paul says, I don't have a direct instruction from Jesus, because the the nature of the conversation isn't, is this sinful? Am I not sinning? Am am I doing something wrong? It's just practical, you know, pragmatism, really. So Paul's desire was to spare them as much heartache and trouble as possible. He tells that in verse 28. He says, but if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And you can understand their heart. They're saying there's famine here. Do we want to add more pressure to the system by bringing children into the world? And, and number one, their heart is for their children that they would have if they can't take care of them. The heart is for the community in general. Do we want to put more pressure and stress on it if there's already food shortages? So you kind of understand the, the, the heartache that the Corinthians are going through. And Paul's trying to help them navigate this by saying, you mean well. And if you don't get married, that's okay. But if you do, that's also okay. This isn't, a, this isn't a, a, an issue of sin. So their heart is absolutely in the right place. And he says, The time being short expression of verse 29 spoke to the opportunity the believers had left in service to the Lord. Because time was short, nothing should interfere with serving God. And Paul includes marriage, mourning, rejoicing, buying, selling, all these things in verses 29 through 31. None of these activities are worth being distracted from the full devotion to serving and pleasing God. That's where real contentment is found. He says, verse 32, But I would have you without um, carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He's unencumbered in his service to the Lord. So to the contrary, single men and women, such as Paul, would be able to dedicate a greater commitment of time, energy, and resources to the kingdom. We should never um, pressure people that are single to try to get into a married relationship like it's some kind of divine calling on their life. God calls everybody for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, and singleness may be a calling that God is using in their life that he's going to use to impact the kingdom in profound ways. So singleness is not a second-class citizen. It's part of the body of Christ for the purposes that God wants to use it. So Paul's advice in verse 35 was motivated once more by his concern for their welfare and his desire for them to have the greatest impact with the undivided attention to the Lord. So then he moves on from the married and the widows. Paul now addresses the unmarried. Well, disputed among scholars, verses 38 through 36 through 38 seem to address fathers about arranging marriages for their daughters. And in this case, the daughter was obviously now of marriageable age based on the culture. So how should the father respond? In this case, when a father thought that keeping her unmarried was not seemly, he should grant her permission to marry. He shouldn't stop it. Young, engaged men had to judge for themselves and their situation if they should choose to marry. That was good. But if they chose not to marry, especially in light of the current situation, that would be even better. So, Paul once more emphasized the truth that marriage is a lifelong commitment. And that's why he's addressing to think through this so seriously. Basically, he's saying to single men, if you have any concern, and single women, if you have any concern about this, you're better off not. Right? Because once you do, here's what he says in verse 39 and 40. 
The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Basically to, an unbe- to, a, to a believer. But if she's happier, if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Basically, she can remain single if she chooses to as well, if her husband were to die. And I think the same, um, the same situation is, occurs for the husband too if he were to become a widower. That you're loose from the marriage relationship only when the other spouse has died. And then we find that in the teachings of Jesus referenced earlier in Matthew. So Paul once more emphasized the truth that marriage is a lifelong commitment. He specifically addressed widows, giving the same kind of advice he had just given to fathers regarding their daughters. And the widow was free to remarry as long as she did so in the Lord and in full awareness of the responsibilities that being a Christian placed on her. His personal judgment, however, as stated in verse 40, was that she would maybe be happier and more productive if she chose not to marry. So let's wrap this. Paul wanted his audience to understand that they could find contentment in serving the Lord no matter their particular situations. We are to put the Lord first in our lives, whether married or single. Paul pointed out that there are actually advantages to remaining single, and that is possibly the calling on some people's lives to further the kingdom and the work of the church. Those who are single have less worry and distraction to hinder their service to God. Nevertheless, Paul found no fault in getting married within the biblical guidelines. God is with us whatever our situation, and believers should always seek to find contentment and fulfillment in Him rather than in a person. We will never find contentment in a person apart from Jesus Christ or a situation. And quite frankly, it is not fair to a person to put your expectations of contentment on that individual, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children. It's simply not fair. It's not fair to put that pressure on somebody to say, well, I'm not happy because of you. No, you're not happy because you have not found your contentment. I am not happy because I have not found my contentment in Christ and Christ alone. We must abide in God and all those relationships around us will be richer for it. So let's make walking with Christ and serving him our highest priority, no matter what our circumstances are. And why do people find contentment in walking with and serving Christ? Well, quite, quite frankly, it's what we were created for. We find love, purpose, and fulfillment there. We are created to find contentment and love and glory in the person of Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. What practical steps would help you walk with Christ and how could you serve him? Those are the questions that we need to identify this week. Why are we discontent? Ask yourself, dig deeply into that. Why am I discontent? And ask God to help you work through. How can I find contentment in Christ and Christ alone? And you will find that every relationship, your status, your circumstances will all improve because your viewpoint will be better and your focal point will be singularly on Christ and not what we do not have. So I hope this has been helpful. I hope you've been encouraged by it. There's a lot of depth to this particular chapter and scholars argue over this particular chapter all the time. So don't think that we have covered everything there is to cover in chapter seven, but hopefully it gives you a good overview. And maybe whet your appetite to dig in a little bit deeper for yourself and let God guide and direct you as you study and serve him. Look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us here in the Calvary Couples podcast.